Hello and welcome to the Balancing Act podcast, where you can find tools and inspiration for working mums who are ready to overcome the mental load so that they can live with more simplicity, ease and fulfilment in their everyday. I'm your host, Debbie, a balance coach and a working mum myself, and I'm super happy to be here with you. Hey, and welcome back to another week's episode of the Balancing Act podcast. I'm still enjoying having a little dance in my seat here as I listen to that intro music. So this week is an interview episode. I'm interviewing Susan Wallace from Settled Petals. And Susan and I have been friends for a very, very long time. I think from when we were about five years old. And when I contacted Susan to to ask her about doing the interview, she reminded me of a a local newspaper that we used to co-edit, all all handmade. It was an artisan, truly artisan newspaper. Um, And that was when we were probably like, I don't know, early teens, something like that. And it was one of many semi to unsuccessful (laughs) entrepreneurial projects that we tried but it was a nice reminder of the that sort of entrepreneurial spark that we both showed all those years ago. And for me, it was a really nice reminder of how, like as an adult, when you're looking to get back into your passions, I always think it's really useful to go back to your childhood and think about the things that you really enjoyed them then and try revisiting those and quite often you'll find that that same like carefree spark and passion comes back and so when I think back to the newspaper it's probably no surprise really now that both Susan and I are running our own business. So Susan joins me to talk about baby sleep something that is very close to the heart of many parents and Quite often the first question that you would have been asked about as a mum when you went along to a baby group for the first time, for example. Um, But why I wanted to get Susan on to talk about this was because I think, especially in those early days, but even as our children grew up, if they're not sleeping, it means that we don't sleep. And I think that it's easy to forget our our own basic needs sometimes so you know sleep food water and warmth are those the four very primary needs of any human and whenever those four things are neglected then it doesn't form a very stable base on which to build balance in other aspects of life and it can make all of those things seem even more out of kilter than they already are so with that in mind, let's dive into the conversation. Hi, Susan. Um, Hi. I'm so happy to be speaking to you today. It's a really exciting way to be starting off the podcast interview series. So thank you very much indeed for your time. I I'm really appreciate it, given that I know you've got an awful lot on your plate at the minute. Um, so maybe just to start off with, could you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and a little bit about Settle Petals as well? 
Yeah, so I'm um, Susan Wallace. I am a um, accredited sleep consultant, um, potty training consultant, um, baby massage um, instructor, baby yoga instructor, kids yoga instructor, and also um, run a diploma in baby massage. Um, so um, that's a little bit about Settle Pedals, um, which is the business that kind of looks after all of those. Um, and then I also have a little um, 11-week-old daughter. So um, I'm currently on maternity leave, um, but able to work some keeping in touch days as well. Fantastic. Wow. So the business actually has quite a, a range of different services then. Yeah, so um, it's an infant consultancy service. Um, so the uh, the basis is really sleep consultancy, but there's a lot that feeds into that. So the likes of baby massage and baby yoga actually promote infant sleep. So there's a lot of crossover. So baby massage is brilliant to say a bedtime routine and um, because babies who are massaged and um, before bed and um, the research shows that they sleep longer sleep deeper and cry up to an hour less a day. And um, same with potty training. So if I was doing a sleep um, consultancy with um, a toddler and um, quite a lot they've also got potty training going on as well so I offer them all as standalone services but there's a lot of overlap um, between them as well but the whole um, basis is about um, giving parents the skills to keep their children calm regulated and um, have good sleep um, and good support for the whole family really so settled petals in the name is it's about settled and um, people feeling content and calm. Yeah, I can really see that because I know, um, like, certainly from my own experience, I think probably sleep with my first son and um, not so much my second, but certainly potty training as well, which we've just gone through, I think have been the two, probably the two most stressful elements of having a child, especially the first time around. So just what you said about a benefit in the whole family, I could really, I could really see that. I think that like I know certainly for myself with um, Ethan, you know, I became slightly obsessive over his sleep for a while. Yeah. And um, yeah, having some support available there is really a really, really useful thing. I think as much for the mum as it is for, for the baby as well. Yeah, absolutely. Because if, if the baby's having no sleep, um, it tends to be the rest of the house aren't having either. But <laughs> yeah. particular mums seem to kind of bear the brunt of that a lot. Yes, I think so. Yeah, I know for me it was because I was breastfeeding first time round and I felt like, um, yeah, you know, it was, I felt like this, like a milk bar that was open, open all night long, yeah. really. Yeah, no, it's hard when you're not getting your full sleep yourself. Um, so with Mary um, only being uh, 11 weeks old then you've had so 2020 you've spent pregnant for a large part and then with a new baby and running your business all this time as well so I think this year has been a bit of a roller coaster for everybody but it sounds like yours has maybe been even more, more of a roller coaster and how have you found yeah. like managing all those different aspects of life especially with lockdown? Do you know, in some ways, lockdown actually made it a little bit easier. Um, and that's not to take away with the hardship. I know there's a lot of restriction with lockdown that affects people in a lot of different ways. Um, but running a business, I would have, um, particularly with the sleep, gone all over the country to do one-to-ones in people's houses. And I'd been running a lot of group work classes, which I love for parents. Um, but that would have entailed a lot of carrying mats in and out and setting up and different things. Um, so actually with the lockdown, um, before I went on maternity leave, everything kind of became based in the house and I changed 
change a lot of how I work to online. And so I definitely miss the interaction with other adults um, and particularly other maybe pregnant um, people as well. But on the other hand, um, I wasn't... um, going out socializing too much everything just became centered around the house which actually led to quite a calm pregnancy um, and give a bit more time I would have um, you know gone for a little walk or done yoga online or different things and so some parts were obviously stressful a lot about the unknown and you know the risks of COVID and all of those things but on the other hand there was also quite um, a calming element because I wasn't going in too many directions um, and I had like a base, which was the house. Um, so it actually um, meant, I think for me, the the rest of the pregnancy, although it wasn't as social as it might have been, it was quite calm. Um, and it does um, focus a bit of time um, on the baby afterwards because um, you're not going to too many um, places. You can focus on building the relationship, which has been nice. So there's definitely been um, positives as well. And I guess that's what that's um, somewhere where actually having your own business then really comes into its own, because I imagine what would put a lot of mums off running their own business is sort of maybe the, you know, the fear of like insecurity or the unknown or like financial insecurity probably being one thing. But like actually having that flexibility then has been really invaluable to you. Yeah, I think like 2020 and running your own business, there's definitely some um, parallels because if certainty is your thing um, and you like to know what's happening tomorrow and you can, you know, plan out and you've got, if you are employed, you know, you've got a business looking out for you and all the rest. When you go self-employed, you kind of lose a little bit of that stability. Um, And I think in 2020, the world was kind of shaken because we all kind of realised we weren't in control as much as we were of our plans. Um, So when you're self-employed, you're already kind of had that um, vulnerability anyway because um, you didn't have the guarantee each month of kind of what was happening and so that is definitely um, you know one of the, the the difficulties that can arise but then the positives are that you can be adaptable and flexible um, and you can work things around a situation and you can adapt and um, so you're not really answerable to anyone so um, you know a lot of my services went online and um, and I was able to adapt on those and also um, with having a baby you can work the hours that sit you um, in and around um, their life so um, that's quite um, helpful as well and there's a lot of um, if you're prepared to be flexible and adaptable then it can work really well I think it's a bit easier in some ways for me because my business is so linked to parenting and that if I'm um, you know I do baby massage with my baby I'm planning my baby's naps and so it's not that I'm having to put my brain into two different areas it's just the same area just one for me and one for other people so the the information's the same which helps I think as well. Um, So yeah and so moving on from that I guess you must see like you must see you obviously work with parents both mums and dads So do you tend to see a lot of the same issues like crop up again and again? There are, there's some overlapping issues. So a big one would be, you know, early rising difficulty settling to naps um, and night sleep and then frequent night waking and but then there's also differences as well because what one parent sees as a sleep issue someone else mightn't um, and what is deemed a sleep issue and actually depends on the parent's 
personality as much as the child. So we all have um, a sleep quota. Some of us are very high sleep needs, um, and that's for children and for adults. Um, so you could have one adult who functions really well on five hours um, sleep a night, and you could have another adult who always needed a higher amount, maybe like nine hours. So babies are the same. Some like little babies might need 15 hours sleep a night. Others need 12. Um, and a sleep issue tends to come um, when a parent and a child's sleep is not um, working favorably together. So if you're a high sleep needs parent and you have a low sleep needs child, um, you could be saying that something's a sleep issue that wasn't for a family who had a low sleep um needs mm. parent and um, so there'd be times of what people even define early rising is um, so I could maybe start with a family who a child's been waking at four o'clock before I started to work with them and our aim is that the child wakes at 6am where another family could approach me and say this child's waking at 6am we need help with our early waking so one person's issues another person's goal <laughs> Yes, yes, I like that. Like, I remember, um, I remember when you first started the business talking about it, and um, one of the things that you said to me was that something's only a problem if it's a problem for you. Yeah, and like I've always remembered that, and I actually think it's um, it's a sentiment that could be applied to lots of different aspects of parenting as well, not just sleep. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, do you find then when when you're working with parents, do you do you offer like, you know, one solution that, that works for everybody or is, is it very much a case of working out what works for each family and yeah. um, I guess their preferences as well? A hundred percent. It's also what the parent goal are. Um, so sometimes people will say, um, perhaps you've got a family and they're breastfeeding throughout the night and they're saying it's really, really important to me that I still feed in the night until my baby is at least 12 months. So I would still like to feed at least once or twice because I want my milk supply to be through the night um, where another family could come with me and that could be for an 11 month old. Um, another family could come with a six month old and say where we don't want to be feeding through the night and we want to be able to have our baby to sleep for much longer periods of time. Um, so the goals are very different in both cases. Um, and my my solution, so by solution, it, um, what I really mean is how I empower families to meet their own sleep goals with the knowledge um, or, and understanding of the science of sleep with my support through that. So um, there's some solutions just would not work for some families. So some families would say to me, I absolutely do not want to leave my child at all through the process, or I want um, the child to stay sleeping in my bedroom until they're X amount of times. Um, and then another family might um, want a completely different solution and might want a much quicker solution. And um, so it would be very dependent. And um, it's also dependent on the child. So um, I also look at what the child's personality is and what their sensory preferences is. That's particularly re relevant for toddlers. Um, so some toddlers would have very high um, sensory seeking needs. So they would be um, your toddlers who jump in puddles, who love bath, who love splashing um, and generally are calm when there's a lot of sensual um, experiences going on um, where you could have a sensory avoiding child um, who likes everything calm, doesn't like to get dirty, would be very sensitive to the materials on their skin. Um, so the child who likes the calmer environment 
bed is an ideal place for them. They need everything calm and relaxed. Where a sensory seeking child um, actually needs quite a lot of sensory input to be able to get to sleep. So it would be two completely different approaches to bedtime um, for both of those children. So you have to take in both the child and the adult's um, personality types as well as their goals um, when coming up with a sleep solution. Wow, that's really interesting. That's really interesting. So I think um, why that perks my interest so much is like, I know certainly my older son is very, um, I'd say he's probably in the sensory seeking side. He's always like, yeah, he's the first one to jump in a puddle or he's quite, um, you know, in terms of emotion, his emotions as well. He's like very, he very much experiences the highs and the lows rather than yeah. being a constant. And um, like, I did wonder early on if that's why he found like sleep so difficult. So you tend to find for children like that, it can take them like longer to learn how to sleep for, for any length of time. Definitely. The majority, particularly when it gets to toddler plans that I'm working with, um, it's very rare. I nearly see a sensory avoiding child. It's nearly all the sensory seeking. And um, I also think sensory seeking child have found lockdown harder and have had a bigger impact on their sleep because mm. they would nearly have a sensory quota that needs filled every day. And if it's not filled, they need to find it. So if you have been in the house um, locked down, unless you've got a family that's promoting a lot of sensory stimulation and um, a lot of children were not getting the same amount that if they'd been at nursery or school um, or even been out in a shopping center where they were hearing the beeps in the you know at the checkout or the cold as you walked from the car into the shop and the warm and hearing all the noises and um, so they weren't maybe getting their sensory needs met just as highly in the day so when they got to bed there was a lot more kicking around or jumping on beds or getting out of bed into bed out of bed into bed because that's very sensory stimulating and um, so I think um that um personality group if you like probably have found lockdown harder where a lot of sensory avoiding are thinking lovely calm yes. and um, they're maybe having a lovely time so um again just, quite similar to adults as well so I know some adults like it's the sort of idea of bliss not having a yeah. quite so much That's exactly from from that respect then do you think do you find that kids tend to go through like see phases sometimes where maybe you'll have had a child who has been sleeping well and then for whatever reason like like lockdown or another change in in their routine or in their in their environment it might disrupt their sleep for a little while yeah there's both developmental and environmental influences that would impact sleep and um, so from a developmental point of view around eight months is a real big one babies mm. often learn to start standing in their cots children like to practice what they've learned in the day and night so um if you have a little baby and they're finding the voice that doesn't disturb their sleep too much as they're kind of just making little cooing noises but at eight months when they're learning to kind of stand they start standing in the cot or rocking back and forward in like all four position because they're thinking about crawling and they're practicing and um, that developmental um changes can definitely impact sleep or when they work out that if you throw things they go away so um and they're learning about do they come back so you maybe have the dummy that used to stay inside being thrown out and mm-hmm. um, so there'd be a lot of development also environmental so um, we need to feel safe to sleep so um the hormone melatonin that's a sleepy hormone um is the opposite of that is cortisol the wake-up hormone and you might think i thought cortisol was the sleep the stress hormone um, and it's actually the same hormone because if you're feeling very sleepy and something dangerous came in your living room you suddenly need to be as awake as you can either fight or flight it Mm. so 
if you are ever stressed, your body releases cortisol to thinking you need to fight or flight something and that actually keeps you awake. So you know yourself as an adult, if you're ever feeling uneasy, um, it often coincides with not being able to sleep. Um, so same for children, if they become overtired, the cortisol is released. Um, if they um, have a lot of changes going on, that chemical is released. Um, so changes or anything that can make a baby feel uncertain and um, real standard ones might be starting nursery for the first time and they're out of their routine um, or a new baby that would be another big one um, especially if the baby's in the bedroom with the parents and the other uh, child's yeah. probably thinking everyone's in there and I'm not and <gasps> um, so there's definite things and um, there's the difference between the developmental and the environmental is um one is a might be a genuine regression and one might be a progression. So the idea of a sleep regression means that sleep, you've actually unlearned something that you could do. Where at eight months, that child's actually developing, they're gaining more skills, they're actually progressing. It just doesn't look like that from a sleep point of view, but they're gaining more skills and the sleep happens to be impacted. Where if a child says had a very traumatic event, they actually might unlearn a skill it's not that their development has learned more skills and um, so sleep is kind of a bit of a moving target in that way but um it's just identifying is it a, a developmental progression or if there's something that has actually negatively impacted sleep where um that's not always the case yeah interesting because um I think the the most famous sleep regression, regression the the four month sleep regression that everybody talks about. Um, I remember you explaining yeah. to me that even that is actually a progression. It's not a regression at all. It's, it's yeah, like they're learning about their their sleep cycles, isn't it? Yeah. So basically, adults have four sleep cycles. Um, newborns have two. So newborns just go in from, and we'll call it light sleep and deep sleep, and it's just light sleep, deep sleep, light sleep, deep sleep. So it, it, it's not too difficult to go from one to the other and um, by four months they start going into a more adult-like sleep um, pattern and there's actually four stages to go to so they have to go from one stage one two three four and that's much trickier so some children might try that and go one three and then they wake up and um, so they're actually learning a, a, a more complex way so it is definitely a progression because they come out the other end of it um with a much more complex sleeping um pattern but it just certainly doesn't feel like a progression for parents <laughs> yeah. when they're going through the 16 week um progression and um it, it does coincide with a lot of wakes as they try to learn um the skill set of, of navigating through a much more complex sleep pattern so what time um like what age um do children generally get to before you find like parents are will come and seek out your support is four months like a common a common time when parents will approach you do you know interestingly I had a look at this one time and it's actually 13 months <gasps> um, and when I look at this I actually was thinking what is going on at 13 months um, and then I realized it wasn't the child it was actually um, it was coinciding with a lot of people's maternity leave ending so a lot of parents were having 12 month maternity and although they may have been exhausted they weren't coming at 13 months saying we have a new issue they were saying we basically stumbled by the first 12 months okay because I could stay in my pajamas until 12 o'clock and you know I could nap when the baby napped or do whatever but then the mum goes back to work and um 
then is now having to try and balance the sleep deprivation with getting everyone up and out in the morning, go and do the work and back. And so a lot of people actually were seeking support at 13 months, not because the sleep had become any more difficult, but because there was no one in the home. um, And it was just adding in, you know, eight hours of work was just making um, the sleep unsustainable. So that was a good example of it's only a problem if it's a problem for you. Mm -hmm. And then you add in another eight hours um, and you know it, it just becomes unsustainable so people were seeking my support a lot around the 13 14 month mark when they were realizing actually we, we can't sustain this and maintain health for the whole family that's really really interesting and I think I could definitely relate to that because I think that like when you go back to work as well it's such an emotionally draining time as mm-hmm. well and when you're you know it's not even just the physical aspect of it I think when you're tired like everything just feels so much more overwhelming yeah absolutely absolutely so I think that that's my theory anyway but I'm pretty sure from speaking to parents that that that's just the time that they think no like I just can't um something has to change really Mm -hmm. so why do you think people are so reluctant to reach out for help earlier on do you think it's it's because it isn't a problem earlier on or do you think there's there's something else I think there's probably a few reasons and um, I think there's a lot of pressure on parents and um, that sleep is just something that's part and parcel and you have to learn to get on with it um, and that's very easy to say if you're a low needs um, sleep parent and um, you know people think parenting obviously with parenting there's going to be some level of sleep deprivation it's when it becomes that that sleep deprivation is impacting the quality of life that really people will come to me and I think a lot of the time people just ploy on and a bit like what we were saying people always think oh it's the um it's the four-month regression oh I think there may be t- oh I think it's this stage I think it's that stage and um, actually um, it's that we need to to help the child learn a new skill Um, so I think that sometimes people think actually um, sleep is not a need sleep is a need and that applies to parents as much as um, children and even if you look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs sleep is on that base foundation it is not a luxury and we don't expect um, parents to run on very very low calories food and, and trying to run a very low sleep and um, we're not talking about you know we, we get up and um, with our babies to feed them in the night we have to meet their needs it's when it becomes that the baby's waking even when they don't have an unmet need and um, that sleep support is is relevant and um, I think as well and um, people sometimes think that um, sleep support is about cry it out and it's something that don't, they don't they don't know that that I actually have never met a sleep consultant that actually would um, suggest cry it out and they don't realize there's much there's much more to sleep than that so it might be just changing nap times and bringing bedtime forward we might need to support them to learn the skills to fall asleep but it certainly doesn't need to be anything where you leave your baby and particularly a baby that's crying Um, and I think as well people other people might not actually know that it works so um I don't know maybe just resign their fact and that um their baby doesn't sleep I think people often don't realize that sleep is a skill so people will say is your baby a sleeper or is your baby not a sleeper 
Well, unless your baby's being disturbed by something like reflux or teething or, you know, it's they, they're waking because they're hungry. And um, those are all um, normal things. But actually, sleep is actually a learned skill. So I think people often think it's it's huge. It's completely developmental, um, which isn't the case. There's developmental things that we talked about, like the regressions, which impact sleep. Um, but but sleep also um, is a skill which we can support. And I don't think everyone really is aware of that science behind it. Yeah, I'd absolutely agree with that because I think when you think of it, I don't know, like like helping your child learn to eat, for example, or learn to walk or whatever, you 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 know how to be there to like support them and you know, you know all the, like the gradual stages to take. And mm-hmm. but with sleep, I don't think like I don't think I I thought of it in the same way. And I, I didn't yeah, I didn't really realise there was that teaching element of it. And you know, when you say it like yeah. that, it seems so so obvious but I think for so many people it, it isn't because as you say I think we've just been like conditioned to think children are either yeah good sleepers or, or they're not yeah absolutely and I think it's that combined with people thinking oh this is just part and parcel of parenting mm. and tiredness is I don't think you can avoid that in any instance <laughs> yeah. but you can certainly do ways to make yourself less tired um, yeah and I think it's just not, a, you don't have to accept that actually sleep deprivation, which is so much more, um, does not have to be part and parcel um, to that. Um, yeah. A lot of things you can do. Really interesting piece of research recently. I think it was actually in that book, Why We Sleep. Um, oh, that's by Matthew Walker. Matthew Walker. Yeah, which yeah. is amazing. I wouldn't recommend it, reading it if you do have young children. But maybe yeah. afterwards. Um, but it, there was a, a study they'd done where they had deprived somebody of sleep. I think, you know, this person usually went to bed at 10 and they'd asked them to stay awake until two in the morning. Um, and then they'd compared their reaction time with somebody who got who had had like a full night's sleep, but had got drunk to the legal driving limit. Okay. The person who'd been deprived of sleep actually had slower reactions than the person who'd been drinking. And it's just, I thought it was an interesting comparison because you would never, like, you would never tolerate the, you know, the the drink driving limit as a parent, but you would, you know, you think it's acceptable to go with without sleep. Yeah, exactly. Because I think that book actually had like a reference, wasn't it? I think it was um, an American um, piece of, um, research that was actually saying that he thinks that sleep has actually caused more deaths through driving mm. than alcohol and um, yes yeah. so sleep people don't realize the impact sleep deprivation actually has on the body so in that that respect then when you're um like you know you're you're supporting parents through then what what can be quite a, a like a an issue with quite a serious impact for the, the whole family like you're and you're you're bringing them out the other end of that which you know makes the baby happier and like we said at the start the whole family happier like the job yeah. satisfaction you must get from that must be immense yeah I think when people send their email to say we had a full night um if that's their aim obviously you know depending on the age of the child then it is really it can be really life-changing for those family and um, I think on the other hand you know you go through the emotions with them because when you're kind of teaching skills quite a lot unless it's a newborn child where we can teach the skills right away you you maybe have to unlearn other skills um, and we can actually have a period the first few days can be more sleep 
depriving um, than they were before. So um, I'm always, at, whenever I'm working full time, I supply two weeks support. So I would make a tailored plan for family and then I literally guide them every day for two weeks um, through. So helping with nap times and um, a lot of that is trying to encourage a, fam- a family um, to keep working towards their own goal because on a day, about day three, it can be a bit of a low day because sleep deprivation is still at a high people tend to don't come to me unless they're already sleep deprived so we're already starting exhausted Mm. and and then it's really encouraging them to keep going so when we get over that hill and onto the other side and you know people will say like the baby's much happier and um you know a lot of people say they wish they'd done it earlier but (laughs) um you know because they they didn't believe the the effects that it could have um but you know it does just require a bit of I, I don't do the hard work. I literally am like a a coach, if you like to, for yes. saying, come on, stay here. This is where we where we want to go um, during those weeks. But it's the parents that are there on the front line, if you like, um, you know, having the, the hard nights. But it's lovely to see the results at the end. Um, I think that must be where you really do come into your own. So I'm, I suspect you're probably playing down your role a little bit there because, um, you know, I guess a lot of the yeah. solutions you offer people could go and like research them for themselves, for example, and yeah. you know, try them out. But like, you know, it's the sticking with it that really is the hard part. And especially after those first few days when you're probably thinking to yourself, oh my goodness, I don't know if this is really working or not. Whereas you yeah. know, for you, if you've seen this happen, lots of times before and you've seen it happen to lots of different families in different circumstances you know you could be there to guide them through it and sort of you know make them like keep going and, and come yeah. out the end. that's exactly it you know and I think a lot of people come to me and they say is this going to work because we've tried everything and I said maybe it's because you've tried everything you know you're getting <laughs> to three days and you're like this isn't working we're trying a different approach that's not working and um, let's try and stay on the same path for a little while. Um, do you know, and sometimes um, the reason I do two weeks, it doesn't take two weeks, um, you know, to help the skill. But there's a lot of tweaking. Sleep is a moving target. So um, just when you think we've maybe got taught a child um, a lot of sleep skills and then they think um, that they'll maybe go up um, a, a nap bracket. <laughs> so they've maybe been on two naps um, and now they're going to drop to one nap and there's a bit of tweaking around. Um, and because children, you know, some children need 12 hours sleep, some need 15. And um, I never recommend that you follow, you know, every child, you know, doesn't need to have a nap at nine o'clock and wake up at 10 o'clock and have a nap at one. Depending on how many hours sleep that child needs, will depend on their schedule so sometimes the, the kind of second week that we would work together is a wee bit of just tweaking to get things um you know right for Optimized. that child right yeah. yeah 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 fantastic so um if any of the the listeners are feeling inspired then to, to get in touch with you um how how would they best contact you so i'm saddle pedals it's www.saddlepedals.com settle petals on instagram settle petals on facebook so um whatever people's um preferred channel is um we're there but yes if you google settle petals um or else go on any of those social media sites then you can find us fantastic brilliant well thank you so much for your time Susan um I really appreciate that and it's been it's been a really interesting discussion for me I feel like I've learned um quite a few things there great thank you so much thanks Thanks for having me Bye. bye Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Balancing Act podcast. 
If you've loved what you've heard, I would be incredibly grateful if you could rate and review the podcast so that we can help spread the word to all the other working mums out there looking for more balance in their everyday. If you'd like to hear more, you can find me on Instagram at debbieleeco or on my website at debbielee.co.uk where you can download your free kickstart guide to finding your balance as a working parent. Until then, I look forward to speaking to you in the next episode. Bye for now.